That was wonderful. Thank you so much, choir. Uh, Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, the prophet Jonah. And this is part two in the series, the book of Jonah. Today's part is entitled Reversal of Fortunes. The text is Jonah 1, verses 4 through 10, but we'll read, we'll go ahead and start at the first and read from verse 1 through verse 10. My sources include John Calvin's commentaries on Jonah, Bob Deffenbaugh's studies called The Prodigal Prophet, Gordon Ketty's book, The Message of Jonah, from the Wellwind Commentary series, uh, a book by Dr. Palmer Robertson, Jonah, A Study in Compassion, Sinclair Ferguson, Man Overboard, The Story of Jonah, and Richard Phillips' book on um, Jonah from the Reformed Expository Commentary. Jonah 1, verse 1. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us. Who is responsible for for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, your word. Help us to learn from Jonah, from this story, from your holy word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Jack Benny and George Burns, if you're not old enough to know who they were, they became friends when both were young entertainers. They were really funny guys. They worked their way up through the vaudeville circuit, and they remained friends throughout their lifetimes. One day, they were having lunch at a Hollywood restaurant, and Jack Benny was wrestling with the problem of whether or not to butter his bread. He said to George Burns, and he probably did this, but anyway, he said, I like butter on my bread, but my diet strictly forbids butter. Maybe I should call Mary and ask her what to do. Burns said, Jack, don't be ridiculous. You're you're a grown man. You can make up your own mind whether you want to butter your own bread without your wife's help. 
And then he replied, you're, you're absolutely right. I think I'll just go ahead and butter my bread. Well, when the waiter arrived later with the check, Burns pointed to Benny and said, he, he's paying. And Benny said, I'm paying the whole bill. Why should I have to pay the whole bill? Well, if you don't, I'm going to tell Mary about the butter. You ever been caught? Ever been caught doing something that you knew was wrong? And in the process of being caught, it became obvious to a lot of other people that you were caught. Well, that was the situation with Jonah. You ever watched a movie and you think from the very beginning that you've got it all figured out? In other words, you think you know who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. And then all of a sudden, as the plot thickens, you get blindsided by a complete reversal of who the, the real hero and villain is. I mean, admit it, when this book begins, if you knew nothing at all about the story of Jonah, wouldn't you think Jonah, prophet of God, hero? And and then you'd probably also think heathen sailors, villains? I mean, as we saw last week, Jonah is more of the villain in this story because he was trying to run away from God's call in his life, but God would not allow that to happen. Jonah has headed in the opposite direction, as we talked about last week, of where God told him to go. And now God sends a storm just for Jonah, a storm specifically to get his attention. So let's look this morning at two lessons, and I hope you'll follow along in your outline as well. Lesson number one, God has a way of getting our attention. God has a way of getting our attention. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors, these are seasoned sailors, by the way, they know when storms come up. They're ready for these storms, but this was quite a storm. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. I, I can't imagine what that would be like. But, you know, again, maybe you've seen a movie called Moby Dick. And maybe you've seen what it's like when a ship is being tossed about. Maybe you've been on a ship before and it's been very shaky and there's been a storm. And you know what it's like to be afraid for your life. Well, these sailors are crying out to to each to their own God, it says. And it sounds like there's a smorgasbord, a buffet of gods out there. And you know what? In the minds of pagans, there really is a multitude of gods out there. You and I worship the one true God, but not everybody does. I mean, mankind knows that God exists, but mankind as a whole does not know God. Verse 5, each cried out to his own God, which is another way of saying that the sailors appealed in prayer to whatever God they thought might help them. And as the old adage goes... There are no atheists in foxholes. Yet the believer in Jesus Christ knows the God to whom he prays, for his relationship to God through Jesus Christ provides him and her with the access to the one true God of heaven and earth. I mean, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, aren't you grateful for the access that you have by faith to the God of heaven and earth? Look with me in Romans chapter 5 in the New Testament. Romans 5. Verses 1 and 2. 
The Apostle Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified, declared not guilty of our sins through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Isn't it amazing that we can carry on day after day without a care in this world, but let a little or a lot of trouble come into our lives and all of a sudden God has our attention. He has our attention when trouble comes. People ask, and this is a question that people ask pastors all the time, why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, there are no good people in the literal biblical sense of the word. And, but don't think I don't understand the question. I, I get the question. A better question might be this one. Why is it that God-fearing people seem to face trials of major suffering when pagan people seem to live in the clear? You see that a lot. Well, the biblical answer is that God, in His mercy, seeks to get our attention. And He allows trouble to come our way to get our attention. John Calvin said this, Hardly any religion appears in the world when God leaves us in an undisturbed condition. Fear constrains us, however unwilling, to come to God. But the difference between the pagan and the Christian, in the words of of Richard Phillips, he says that the Christian has a quote-unquote all-weather faith as opposed to pagans who typically have an I'll-call-you-when-I-need-you kind of faith. God used this violent storm to capture these sailors, these pagan sailors' attention, which led them to pray, even though they're praying to the wrong God. And like the sailors in this storm, pagans obviously want to see dangerous situations removed, but rarely would they ever have a thought about the need to have their own sins removed so that the situation would clear up. So that these sailors teach us is that an unregenerate pagan man and woman is actually aware of God. They are. If nothing else, nature displays God clearly, especially in light of the fact that there are straight-line winds occasionally, tornadoes occasionally, hurricanes occasionally. And these sailors, who were most likely Phoenicians, realized immediately that there was a divine power that stood behind this storm. And those of us who have been through Katrina and Ivan and other storms, we, we get pretty well that those storms have major power. And, and I think God wants it that way. He wants to remind us of how powerful He is. Turn with me again to Romans, this time the first chapter. And there's a couple of verses in Romans chapter 1 that, that bear attention. We should look at these verses because they tell us a little bit about what I'm calling Category 1 Revelation. Category 1 Revelation is general revelation. General revelation. So look at Romans 1.19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, and again, this is kind of in the middle of a verse, he's saying God has made it plain to people that He's alive because He's made it plain to them. He's made it clear through creation And all you have to do is look at a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset or look at the sun setting on the ocean and and you just get a glimpse of the fact that someone powerful and intelligent 
created all this. So what is general revelation? General revelation is God's revelation of himself in what we see around us in the creation of the world and in the preservation of the world. I mean, you can see order and harmony in the world. You can see the fact that the sun rises each morning and, and sets each evening, although we know that it doesn't actually rise and set. But you know what I mean. Because of general revelation, you and I can know that there is a supreme being who made all of us and made the world around us. And even before you understood Jesus Christ and what He did for you on the cross to pay your debt of sin, you had an inkling about who God was. You knew that God was real. There was something inside of you that reminded you that there is an eternity. There is a great and mighty God. There is a supreme being who made all of us and the world around us. And then look at the next verse in Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. There's a documentary on Netflix that I would encourage you to watch if you have not done so, and it's asked the question, is Genesis history? It's a fascinating documentary. And it will get you thinking about the creation and all that God has done to preserve creation. So check that out sometime on Netflix, Is Genesis History? Scripture teaches and evidence supports the fact that there is enough proof out there of God's eternal power and divine nature so that you and I have no excuse to say there is no God. C.S. Lewis once said this, We may ignore... But we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with Him. And I love that. At the same time, the Bible also makes it clear, general revelation is not enough to bring you and I into a saving relationship and knowledge of God. It's not enough. So for a person to know God, theologians say there must be another category of revelation. And so that's category two, what I would call category two revelation. And that is special revelation. So you have general revelation and you have special revelation. And why do you need special revelation? So you can know who God is. So you can know what he's about. So you can know what he's like. So special revelation comes to us through the written Word of God. Special revelation comes to us also through the living Word, even Jesus Christ our Lord. So the reason that you and I can know God is because God has come to us to make Himself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Did you know that all religions, all religions except Christianity, are bottom-up in their approach? All religions are man trying to get to God. They require the petitioner to work his way up to God. On the other hand, Christianity is top down. It's God coming down to us in the person of Jesus Christ, revealing what God is like in his person. And so it's only through special revelation that a person can be saved and enter into a living and vital relationship with the one true God, with Jesus Christ, his son. That's why we need missionaries. Sure, there are people all over the world, people groups all over the world that know there's a God, but they don't know what the God is like. And so they, they are lost. And they need 
messengers like us to take the gospel news to them, to take the good news to them. On this ship bound for Tarshish, only Jonah, as one who knew the one true God, only Jonah could tell the sailors what they needed to know. And yet, while the sailors were ready to hear this truth about this great God, the only one who could tell them was sound asleep. And at least to the second lesson, which is God desires to awaken the church from her slumber. Verse 6, let's look at it again. Verse 6, the captain said to him, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's, let's cast lots, which was actually something that they did in Bible times, uh, almost like drawing straws, to see where this calamity came from. And it says, the, Cast the lot, and the lot fell on Jonah. So Jonah is below deck, and he is in a deep sleep. How do you think the captain found him? I mean, it's a pretty big ship, and I'm sure it's dark down below. Well, one commentator said maybe it's because Jonah was snoring so loudly. You know, when you're really exhausted, you can snore, right? And, and again, so that you don't think that you're alone in this horrible thing that maybe you have to sleep with a snorer. Um, statistics show that 45% of people snore. So that's one out of every two. So the, if it's not you, it's the person next to you. Just, just so you know, um, 25% of men snore, so again, but uh, how could he sleep? I mean, think about this. There's this terrible storm going on. The violence of the storm surely tossed him around and about below, even so he continued in this deep sleep. How could he? Well, honestly, it could be because he was physically exhausted from his hasty departure, but I don't think it was just the physical exhaustion. I think the emotional exhaustion of knowing that he was doing something against God's will had to be exhausting. I mean, there's nothing more exhausting than running from your responsibilities. Numbers, 20, Numbers 32, 23 says, You may be sure that your sin will find you out. And so, if there's some sin that you're involved in right now, trust me, you may be sure eventually your sin will catch up to you. And as we saw last week, Jonah was running from the Lord, but specifically he was running from the task that the Lord had given him to do. James 4, verse 17 says, If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If you know the good you're supposed to do and you don't do it, it's sin for them. Jonah knew exactly what he was doing, but what Jonah didn't know, what Jonah didn't know was at this particular time in history, Nineveh, the hated Assyrians, he hated them. Nineveh was in trouble. Prior to Jonah receiving this word from God, Nineveh, a city of 600,000 people, had experienced two different plagues. And also they had a total eclipse of the sun, which they took to be a bad omen of something even worse that was about to come upon them. So God was preparing them for Jonah's message. But what Jonah didn't know was that the Ninevites were also divided politically. And basically they found themselves in a very weak position politically. Left to, the, left to themselves, they would collapse in a very short time. But Jonah didn't necessarily know that or really care to know that. You know, 
you and I are usually a lot like Jonah. Sometimes the facts get in the way of the emotional pull of what we would rather do. So in the midst of this great storm, it's sad to say it's the sailors who pray while the prophet Jonah does not. It's the sailors who work to save this ship and themselves. Jonah doesn't really do anything to help. It was the sailors who demonstrate compassion toward Jonah while he seems to have very little concern about these sailors and their lives, the danger he's put them in. It's the sailors who try to save Jonah and Jonah seems to have no concern to save the sailors. It's the sailors who want to live. But Jonah seems to want to die. It's the sailors who were obedient to what they knew. And Jonah was clearly disobedient to what he knew. It was the sailors who worshipped God. And, and Jonah is not worshipping, even though he says he is. It was the sailors who shuddered at Jonah's sin. And it was Jonah who seems untouched by his sin. It was the sailors who had this growing fear of God. And on Jonah's part, there's no evidence whatsoever of any fear. None. What a reversal of fortunes. What a reversal of our expectations. The sailors recognize this is not a typical storm. They actually have a spiritual worldview. It's just unfortunately not the right spiritual worldview. They've been praying to their gods and it hasn't worked. So now they confront their this stranger on their boat, and they pepper him with questions. Did you notice that in verse 8? They said, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And then his response, he says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. He actually says in one translation, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. And it sounds like maybe some of us repeating the Apostles' Creed. You know, is your heart really in it? Are you just saying words? Those just sound like words to me that Jonah's uttering. I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. I mean, it doesn't sound to me like Jonah's confession has become very personal. He says he fears God, but I'm not convinced. Are you? His actions sure don't seem to point to that. And did you notice the question that he doesn't answer? What kind of work do you do? He doesn't say, I'm a prophet of the Lord. My point is, if Jonah feared God, he wouldn't have gone below deck and fallen asleep. So the captain of the ship comes to him and says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Jonah doesn't seem to be the least concerned about dying, so he doesn't call upon his God. Why not? Because he knows this storm is his fault. He knows it's his own making, but he doesn't seem to care until the sailors are so terrified, they say to Jonah in verse 10, what have you done? And to me, that's a telling question. What have you done? And my professor was Dr. Palmer Robertson, and he says in his study, you, would, you will inevitably bring trouble to the life of others as well as to your own life. If you are walking contrary to the will of God. I want you to think about that for a moment because that, that's really a powerful statement. Have you ever thought about your sin bringing trouble to other people's lives? It, it always does. It always does. 
And Dr. Robertson says you will inevitably bring trouble to the life of others as well as to your own life if you're walking contrary to the will of God. Dr. Robertson says that many who have utilized his book on Jonah are those involved in prison ministries. He says due to the fact that the book seems to resonate so strongly with inmates. Why? He says, quote, they know they are running from God. They understand what it means to hurt other people, especially the ones they love, by going against God's will. So Jonah provides us with a picture of the relationship between the church and the world. Think about that. Why were these sailors in such danger? Because of their sin? No. No, because of Jonah's sin. And I wonder how much of the sins and the hurts of this world can be traced to the church. People of God who are asleep, like Jonah, refusing to act like the people of God. Many have made the case that when the church is awake, actively exercising its duty of godliness and prayer and gospel witness, things go pretty well in this world. You think of the many tremendous and positive contributions the church of Jesus Christ has made to this world in terms of the quality of life, whether it's through science or medicine or literature or whatever. And a great example of that would be the Great Awakening of the 18th century in both England and in America, in which large numbers of people were converted to faith in Jesus Christ during the Great Awakening. And many historians credit this revival with England's stability in an age of revolution. And then there's the other side of the coin. The neglect of God and His Word brings only darkness and storm. And in the 19th century, in the 19th century, German scholarship attacked the authority of Scripture. You know, sadly, when I went to seminary, I, I learned about what had happened in German scholarship in the 19th century. And it was very sad to read how this movement called historical criticism, biblical criticism, had turned people away from acknowledging the authority of Scripture. Many started saying in German, in Germany, that, you know, this is just a book written by people, by human authors, taking away the divine authorship of Scripture. And the inspiration of Scripture is everything. If, if Scripture is not inspired by God, then it is just another book. But we believe this is the Word of God, that God is behind the authorship of this book. And so that, that movement in Germany in the 19th century led to a highly nationalistic church that abandoned, for the most part, the gospel. And it was in this spiritual vacuum that Adolf Hitler was able to raise the Nazi standard and engulf the world in war. Tragically, recent decades tell a very similar story of spiritual decline in Europe and in America. And just like Jonah's flight, it all begins with a rejection of the Word of God to us. So let's put this story in its context. Jonah's not just somebody that lived in the 8th century B.C. And, you know, he's not just a guy that we read about and let's forget about him. Jonah is our life. Jonah's doing exactly what the church is doing, turning away from God's Word to us. And I'll close with a passage from Ephesians. 
Ephesians chapter 5, which is, by the way, verse 14 is our verse of the week. But I want to read the verses that precede the verse of the week, starting at verse 8. Ephesians 5 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. How do you do that? Read this. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And so read with me the verse of the week, which is verse 14 of Ephesians 5. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, there's probably a number of people that are asleep in this room. Not literally, but they're asleep in their faith. They are are not following your word. They're walking away from you. And I pray that you would speak to them today, Lord. And that you would help them to see themselves in Jonah. Sound asleep. When they're about to perish. I pray, Father, that you would touch our hearts and convict us of our sin. And lead us to the throne of grace and mercy to repent of our sins and to turn away from those things that we've been doing and and even to return to those things that we have not been doing, that we might be doing Your will. Father, we confess and admit to You today that we, we are so easily drawn in by other things. And so I pray that You would lead us, Lord, back to You, that we would be uh, Your servants in Your church your obedient disciples in this world. In the time of summer, it can be a time for much uh, laxity where we, we don't do the things that we normally do. So keep us, Father, from that and help us to uh, keep in step with your spirit each and every day. Thank you for this, your word, and for Jonah that we learn much from. We pray that you would help us to grow in your grace this day and return to you and awaken that we might walk in the light as you are in the light and have fellowship with you once again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.